Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, has the chance to meet cool people every week. I talk about them. I hear about them. I get their stories. We do all this fun stuff. Today is no exception. Today, I have someone that I can only describe as remarkable as I was going through the information about this guest, and I was just so impressed with the things that she's done and what she's doing now that it was it's gonna be an honor to have this conversation. And so I hope that as you're listening to this, you're gonna listen with an open mind about education and about reading and about literacy because there's some great stuff on the horizon with my guest today, Ms. Joe Schantz. And Joe is the executive director of the Jeffco Library Foundation, but her history is so much more. We're gonna dive into the history, we're gonna talk about that. Oh so Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. This is an honor to be here. So I'm, I'm just delighted to be able to talk about my organization as well as uh, some of the other opportunities that I have found to um, express myself throughout Jefferson County. You know, speaking of expressing yourself, let's start there. Okay. When I when I looked at your resume, magna cum laude, that's no joke, at, yeah. at Metro State University, which is a really cool place. Yep. And then you end up going on and you get further education, right? Mm -hmm. And you got that. And I think to make sure I got it right, it's it's working in... Um, English and journalism, and then you got a master's in nonprofit management. Yes, from Regis University. Yeah, I went back um, as one of the older students, but uh, it took me a couple of years and I got my master's degree. It was a wonderful program and I'm really delighted that I went through it. Were you always, as a, as a child and growing up, was education centrally themed for you? Was that something that you were instilled from your parents? Where did that come from to really go for it on the scholastic side? I guess I've just always enjoyed learning new things. Uh, when my children were small, uh, we live right next door to Red Rocks Community College. So when they were little toddlers and, you know, preschoolers, et cetera, I would put them in daycare a couple of days a week, like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I would go take classes. And so I just kept building, building until I got my Associate of Arts then uh, from Red Rocks. And then as they got older and I had more free time, that's when I started going to Metro State. Um, and then later on, I uh, decided I need my master's degree. So I went to Regis. So it's an interesting connection between English uh -huh. and then nonprofit and fundraising and all that kind of stuff. Was there something in your heart or where did that switch for you to connect your ability to write and to speak and to the, the English language? Where did that then transition into this giving side of things versus teaching, being a professor, anything like that? I love to write. So I'm a freelance writer on the side. And actually, hearkening back to when my kiddos were young, uh, my sons were both involved in uh, Boy Scouts. So I started writing articles for Scouting Magazine for Boy Scouts. It was kind of funny, too, because um, I wrote an article. I sent it off to them. You know, I'd never done this before. Um, they sent me back a letter and said, hey, we'll pay you $350 for this article. And what is your writing history? Because, you know, they wanted to send me more assignments. And I had to laugh. I turned to my husband and I was like teary eyed. And I said, I don't have a writing history. This was it. <laughs> did you do more work for them? Yes, I did. Yeah. So you were there. Yeah. They were your writing history. It was a lot of fun. We were able to, uh, well, actually, they flew us up to um, Yellowstone one summer and I did an article on some of the um, events that were going on there for Boy Scouts. So it was really 
I really cut my teeth on my uh, writing skills and uh, opportunities through that. So since that time, I've written, you know, for local newspapers, uh, national, national magazines, magazines too. Yeah. yeah, like what? What's one of the coolest national magazines that, that oh, someone golly. might, might uh, know? Women's Circle, uh, locally Zenith Woman, uh, Women's Day, all of those different okay. things. Yeah. And was your writing, did, did you, are you that writer that can just, you give me the topic and I'll write about it, or did you stick to a genre of writing? No, it would kind of depend on what the what the magazine or the newspaper was interested in. So for some of the newspaper articles, I just found interesting characters in, in my neighborhood or throughout Jefferson County, um, and I would approach a newspaper and say, you know, I have an opportunity to write an article. Would you be interested? And a lot of times it was, yeah, we'd, we'd like to see what you write. So it was a lot of fun. I got to meet some great people. Yes, and... Did you do writing of coverage of stories or were you finding and creating stories? It was mainly profile pieces, you know, just interesting characters and people and people doing wonderful things. So um, it was very inspiring for me because I found out who all was doing what and, uh, you know, what their inspiration was. Yeah. It was what do you, good. What do, have you noticed a change in journalism today? And, and this might be kind of a buzz question. It might work more in the TV side as opposed to the written side. Obviously, newspapers have undergone a, yeah. a horrible transformation. I mean, the imaging is still out there. Now it's gone digital. The, and, and here's where I'm going with it. I actually saw something which I couldn't believe. I just couldn't believe when I saw it. I didn't think it was real, but then it was, where I was seeing TV journalists that were all reading the exact same script all across the country. <laughs> they weren't doing their own thing. And I'm like, yeah. well, wait a minute, why, why are you in Florida, you in yeah. Atlanta, you in Denver, you in LA, literally reading the same thing? That just seemed like it took something away from me. But I maybe I've been naive. Maybe they've been doing that all along. It was just something new for me. Yeah, I, I guess I really can't speak to that since I'm not in the TV industry, et cetera. But I would think that with all the cutbacks and uh, you know just not being able to afford good journalists or uh, creativity, it's its taken its toll on the media. Yeah. And of course, with social media, you know, every time you turn around, there's something new that's posted and you have to question, is this for real? Yes. So, so the actual, uh, you know, the credentials that are behind this information, you need to be very careful uh, mm. when you read that and, and, you know, consider the sources and, and do your own homework. Such a great point. Yeah. Do you have a favorite author? Is there someone that, as a writer, do, is there someone that you like for any particular reason? Well, right now I'm uh, listening on a, uh, a CD. I'm listening to Delia Owen's uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay. And actually it's coming out as a movie um, in July. And what's the storyline there? Um, it's a young girl who is abandoned by her parents and she lives in the marshes of North Carolina. Um, and it's just really an intriguing story. The 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 wording is so poetic, you know, I mean, she paints such a, an indelible picture. You just, it's imprinted in your mind and you just, you feel like you're there. It's really good. I always love great writing. Mm -hmm. There are, and I love to read. Unfortunately, I will tell you, I don't know if you've experienced this or as a journalist, if you've seen more of this, I used to read so much more than I do now mm -hmm. because of podcasts. Yes. Now I'm a podcast junkie. Like I literally <laughs> listen to podcasts every single day. There's something that feeds my mind from a podcast and, and I'm not, you know, true crime podcasts. I'm not fantasy podcasts. I'm like personal growth and development podcasts. Okay. But I used to read all those books and I miss that. Is is Have you seen that happen a lot? Well, so that's why I switched to my little um, audio 
uh, CDs because that's the only time I have to listen to a book is when I'm driving around in my car. It seems like when I'm at home and even on my little iPad or on my computer, I'm just answering emails all day long. Or, you know, I'm working on a project for, uh, you know, for one of the uh, organizations that I either volunteer for or for my workplace. So it's, yeah, your, your time gets really condensed and uh, you just have to make time if you really want uh, a, a book to read. You, like I said, I love the audio uh, DVDs, or excuse me, the CDs, because they make it so easy. Yes, but nothing paints a mental picture like words. Oh, I know. Words written well mm-hmm. that makes you paint that picture. Oh, that's that's yeah. a gift when people can do that. When I can read something and I can get the essence that just moves me from a book, mm-hmm. a concept, or something that just sticks to me. That is such an art. It can be very powerful. It can be life changing sometimes. So yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I encourage people to read as much as you can. I mean, even the simplest, you know, story or article or what have you, you can still glean from that. And it's just really important to keep your mind sharp and energized and give you new perspectives. What do you think about writing? Do should people, people don't think of themselves as authors mm-hmm. and not everybody is an author, but everybody can be a writer, even if it's your own journal to get your thoughts out there as you're in your professional training as doing this for a living at some point, did you ever glean something that you might share with the audience about how the average person can use writing to somehow enhance their lives or the lives of others? I know sometimes when you get stressed out or you have a, you know, an earth shattering event that occurs in your life, it helps just to write things down and write out those feelings. Um, Because Sometimes that's the only outlet that you have. You can't yell at everybody or scream about it or, you know, you can't cry for days on end, although sometimes you can. (laughs) Um, So I think by writing, it it gives you a release. It gives you um, a direction where you can put down your feelings um, and your insights. And then it's nice to to write that down, go away for a couple of days, and then come back. Um, I always like in writing to uh, making bread, you know, you, you put all the ingredients together, you smush it all up, and then you have to walk away and let it rise. And then you come back and you smash it all down again, and it rises again. So it's kind of that concept. Um, and that's what I found with writing. It just, um, it's a process. It's yeah. a beautiful process. It, it can is. be frustrating, but it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you've spent a lot of time as you transition from from me looking at your bio, which is insane, of spending time with nonprofits. And so the best I can tell, and I'm just going to rattle these off. I wrote them down, okay. so I'm going to rattle them off, but you correct me on how these go. And, and I'm tying this together for for the audience, but over 20 years, you've been doing kind of senior, senior level management mm-hmm. stuff and at groups and, you know, without, we don't even have to go in specific groups, but in education with mm-hmm. ovarian cancer, which mm-hmm. is a whole different thing, veterans and yeah. green jobs. I, th- I thought that was so interesting. I want to dive into that a little bit. Okay. And then CSU, which is Colorado State University, working on an extension program. And then what you're doing with children and all of those different nonprofits. And, and maybe I left some out, but you've, you've not given your life to one right. thing. Can you explain your journey, like how you went through these and, and maybe give lessons or give thoughts about some of these things and what you've learned from all of these different groups? It's been an exciting experience. And again, looking at things from different perspectives. Um, I started off with Girls Incorporated of Metro Denver. I was their first director of development way back when. And what did they do? 
Um, they help uh, young girls uh, succeed. So okay. after school and weekend programs, summertime programs, um, everything from photography to um, acting to what have you. Yeah, it was really an important uh, program. So skills and mentorship, yeah. would that be accurate yeah. in, for young ladies? Yeah, cool. and then uh, steering them into non-traditional careers, you know, science and technology and things like that. So that was very energizing. Uh, from there, I went over to Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, you mentioned the Veterans Green Jobs. I was with them for two years um, as their chief development officer. Unfortunately, that organization is no longer around. So, um, What was the goal? Was it to find, to help veterans move into areas like solar and things of that yes. nature? So we had contracts through the governor's energy office, and uh, we would send out cohorts of, of veterans to, you know, plant trees uh, to give shade during the summertime and, you know, kind of help people cut down on their uh, their bills, their air conditioning bills. Um, also installing like low flush toilets and low water shower heads uh, in low income housing. Um, they also worked uh, the Civilian Conservation Corps. So going out and building trails with the Forest Service and fire mitigation, things like that. That was really exciting. It was, it was good for me. And I'll tell you, why it was powerful. My husband served in Vietnam. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Thank and, him for his service for me, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he earned the Purple Heart. He was wounded. Um, yeah, anyway, long story. But I never served in the military. So for me to have an opportunity to work with these veterans and send them on a, on a new pathway and kind of pave the way for them to have success in, in a new kind of a career, that was very rewarding for me. Yeah. So, you know, we yeah. had a, a guest on the show several weeks ago, and he works with veterans who are coming back from service today mm -hmm. and the helps them make that transition back into civilian dumb, for yes. lack of a better word. Yeah. And it's and the challenges and we got to speak about those. It's a really interesting episode on that. And, and I can imagine that you saw and learned a lot in what these these folks need as they come oh, yeah. back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And some of them, you think that, you know, the military would have prepared them uh, for, you know, these different careers, et cetera. But some just lacked, like, the soft skills, customer service, and even your basic computer skills. So we were involved in that. And, again, just setting them on a new pathway for a new career. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I know that you, uh, that, that they really loved that. It was, it was a good good opportunity for me. So yeah, I, tell, I enjoyed it. Tell me about ovarian cancer. What was the connection there? How did you get into into that? So I applied for a job with them. Um, I hadn't really done much in the like healthcare industry, uh, but they were looking for an executive director. So I applied for the job and I got the job um, and then, uh, you know, kind of helped them uh, with fundraising, et cetera. Uh, they use the, or they do the annual Jody's race, which is a race for a, a to raise money for ovarian cancer. So yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience with them. Did you have family members or someone particular or that was just that was a position that you wanted to grow into? Did was it, there any calling to you from well, that? Well, it was an executive director position. So mm -hmm. I hadn't been an executive director before. I'd had oh, other okay. like senior level uh like I said, chief development officer, senior um fundraising positions, uh those types of things. But this was my first foray as an executive director and it was it was interesting. You know, that's such an interesting title, executive director, and maybe you can define that for the for the audience. I okay. have friends who are executive directors, one of, for example, of the Colorado Chiropractic Association. Mm -hmm. There's, I know the executive director there, and she's a good friend, and there, it's an interesting 
it's an interesting title because from everything I can tell, the executive directors run these these groups, but they're directed by boards of people who are in that aren't there every day. Right. And so you're kind of the all hands on deck person. You got it. Is that, does that describe <laughs> what executive directors do? Pretty much so. Um, in my current position uh, as executive director for the Jefferson County Library Foundation, yes, I am guided by a board of directors, but then I am kind of the uh, at the helm then for the rest of my staff. And we have right now um, three full-time staff members. I'm the only full-time salaried staff. We have two um, uh, full-time hourly. Um, so I have my office coordinator and our warehouse coordinator. We have contract workers. I have a volunteer and friends coordinator. Um, she also oversees our whale's tail bookstore that's over at Colorado Mills. Uh, we have a contract bookkeeper, and then we have a part-time uh, worker who helps at our warehouse by collecting uh, donations from the public. And then another part-time worker who works on weekends at whale's tail in Colorado Mills. That is cool. You know, I want to talk about the group. I want to switch gears now and totally okay. talk about the Jeffco Library Foundation. When I was looking at this and, and I was kind of preparing for the show, I was looking through what, because I'm thinking it's a library group or something, mm, but in no. looking at this, and I want you to share a little bit of the, the vision of it, because I was impressed that it was started in 1966, mm -hmm. and basically it was to raise money. It was a, a fundraising organization to help libraries. Is Absolutely. that essentially the, the mission? Yeah. So if people wanted to, you know, donate, uh, you know, a, a goodly sum or leave uh, the library some money through a bequest, we are the vehicle then for getting that money to the library. So they wouldn't donate to the library itself? Well, you don't get your tax deduction if you do it that way. So ah. you sort of need your foundation and you'll find a lot of bigger organizations have a, have a specific foundation. And that's their purpose is to channel that money then um, through the donors then back to the uh, supported entity. And you guys work through libraries of how, how big, like how small a library is it across the whole state? What's no, the, it's, what's the, ours is just Jefferson County. All Jefferson County. So there are 10, uh, 10 Jefferson County branch libraries, and we also fundraise for the Bookmobile. So. And is the Bookmobile still a, an it's active viable thing? Because when I was a kid, and I'm yeah. in my mid-50s now, but when I was a kid, love the Bookmobile. Yeah. What what role does the bookmobile serve for our kids today? So it's been hard to reach people like in the southern part of the county. Uh, right now, the only library that's kind of down in that neck of the woods is Columbine. But there's a whole half of the county that is not being served um, farther south. So the bookmobile um, is able to reach those people. And what does the bookmobile do these days? How has it evolved? Is it is it you? check a book out with the bookmobile and then mm -hmm. you, the bookmobile comes back in a couple right. weeks. And so it's you a, it's a mobile book, library. More, yeah. And what are the ages that typically utilize the bookmobile? Wow. Everything from, you know, families with small children, even babies, um, to what is it? Nanogenarians, which I think is 90 year olds or above. Yeah. The bookmobile serves all ages. And can people put requests in for, Absolutely. for the books that saying, oh, they're going to come out here. I would like to read this book or this author. Right. You can go online and do that. You can call the library and figure out how to do that. But they're very helpful. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, the foundation does some amazing things, some amazing programs. One of the things that you kind of uh, alluded to a moment ago was when you were speaking about the bookmobile and it can work with the little guys. Yeah. We also have this, this intro program, make sure I got it right, the um, the 
uh, what do you call it, for the first three years of life, the literacy, early literacy program? Yeah, early childhood literacy programs. And there are three facets to that, or three programs um, that are well known about that. A thousand books before kindergarten. So that is helping um, parents to be their best and first teacher for their kiddos. Um, and they uh, check out books from the library, then they share those books with their kiddos. So the purpose is to have a thousand books read with your child before that child enters kindergarten. That makes them learning ready and reading ready uh, before they even enter school, which gives them a leg up the ladder. Because if you just send a kid to school and they don't have those language skills, literacy skills, they don't understand word meanings or those types of things, they're, they take a back seat then to the ones who do have those abilities. So that's been one of the key programs. And I, I love that program. I just hear so many people say, wow, this is terrific. Um, another program is Baby's First Books. So the library um, delivers uh, nursery rhyme books in Spanish and in English to new parents in Jefferson County. And again, the purpose is to um, engage the parents in being that first teacher for their children, uh, that bonding uh, between parent and child. It helps to bring them together. Um, so that's a really important pro program. And then the third program is Raise a Reader. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were able to have the Raise a Reader experience out at the Colorado Railroad Museum. It was a day-long um, experience for families. I think we had 1,600 people there. Um, it was a free free event. Uh, you could ride the trains. We had face painting. We had storytelling, all sorts of different crafts, uh, you know, bubble making, you name it. It was just really a good time, but it helped to promote, you know, this is how you can raise a reader. These are the things that you can use, the tools you can use to make sure that your child is um, is a good reader. Have there been any studies done that show the advantages that that kids who are really literate Mm -hmm. have and and what are some of the results so that people listening especially if they have young children it's so easy for them to just let them watch tv or get mm. on screens or something yeah so for someone listening who has a grandchild or is has a young child what could they gain by getting their kids to read more yeah, it's, it's really important. Like I said, those early years, those are the formative years when kids are, are learning the language and learning um, how to express themselves. Uh, so you really need to have a, like a parent or a guardian or a caregiver who's kind of guiding them along that path. So they're not just spending hours and hours in front of the TV set or on their tablet or computer or what have you. Um, it's important for guidance. Uh, it's important to, to get them up to speed so that, again, they're ready to learn and ready to read by the time they enter school. Is there any research showing that they get better grades, they get yes. to college better, they have more opportunities? Because here, here's what I would see, and, and I'm sure you've heard of Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote all the books on the tipping point and outliers and all those kinds of things. The interesting thing that I would compare this to potentially is if you look at his outliers book, he talks about hockey players and the number of hockey players in the NHL whose birthday are in a certain month. And I can't remember oh. if the birthday was in December or January, but it's a very narrow window. Yeah. And the reason that that's the case is because the way the hockey season deadlines fall is that these um, the deadlines fall where if the kid is born, and I'm going to make this month up, so if you know this stat and you're listening, don't hammer me with it. <laughs> so I'm going to make this up. So let's just say that December... Is, is where most November, December is where most NHL players, if there's going to be one or two months where NHL players are born, it's in November, December. So you say, why is that? Turns out that the hockey season has a birthday cutoff. 
And oh. we're going to say that it's the end of December, okay? So that if you're in the born in a certain month, you're going to be the oldest possible oh, I see. for that month. So guess what? As the oldest, you're just a little bit stronger. You're yeah. a little bit faster. You're a little bit more mentally mature than kids who were born at the younger end of the, that right, spectrum. Right, like January, February. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if you're born in whatever these ideal months are, then the next thing you know, you're going to stand out just that much. Yeah. So then you get more coaching on your team. Well, when you get more coaching, if you have skills, then you get a better opportunity. So it moves you up to the next sure. team while these other kids now are, are are in the down team. So literally, it was just happened to be the year you were, the month you were born leading to a higher level of success. So when I hear you say that there are advantages to me, mm-hmm. if a kid comes in showing an aptitude, the teacher is naturally going to gravitate towards giving oh, yeah. that kid more, more opportunity, attention. Yeah. more attention which could have this same kind of outliers effect mm-hmm. for that student, whether it be through um, opportunities within those ages or as it, it kind of magnifying as it's gone up. Right. I, I think it's so critical, so important for parents to, to read to their kids, engage the, the child in reading, et cetera. And again, it's to give them that leg up the ladder when they finally get to school. And yes, there are a lot of uh, statistics that show that this, this works. It's, it's really important. So cool. What have you guys, uh, not what have you done, what's the current emphasis on um, bilingual or monolingual speakers? You mentioned that for these very, very early kids that there's, you know, Spanish and English. Does the Jeffco Library system have a pretty extensive Spanish or multilanguage offering for folks? They're really growing the Spanish language um repertoire that they have available in in the libraries. And I'm really pleased to see that happen. Um, children's story time is another example. So they'll do that in English and in Spanish. So we're, we're trying to reach out, or the library's trying to reach out to uh, a broader base. I also wanted to point out that um, with this number of uh, folks that we have here in Jefferson County, um, I think we're at like 587,000, almost 300,000 of those residents have a library card. So the library is, you know, very important and very a, a very vital part of their lives. And we're really pleased to see that. That was so amazing for you to say that because my yeah. next question was, what role are you guys seeing the library play in the lives of people today? Because again, of all the screens and all of this and, yeah. and all the activities, is the library being more utilized, less utilized. I, I remember I would go to library to study. Mm-hmm. So I loved to go to the library when I was younger and I would I had a library I could walk to and yeah. it was so cool. Yeah. And I would check out books and I loved the the smell of the books <laughs> and I loved just taking them home and reading them and, and bringing them back. And then as I got older, then, you know, into college, then the library was a place to study. And then of course you would go to your campus libraries. And when I was sure. in chiropractic school, that was, that was kind of a place that was it allowed my mind to get into gear on mm-hmm. what I needed to do as opposed to kind of keep me scattered. What roles is the library actively serving in our community today? So interesting that you ask that. I know when I first started my position at the Library Foundation, which again is separate from the library, um, I would have people ask me, well, do, do libraries even still exist? Do we still need them? Are they relevant? 
So the more I got engaged with my job and found out more and more what the library is doing and the free services, I mean, these are free. You can walk in there, you can check out your books, CDs, DVDs, you can use their um, computers for free. Um, they have a service that I've used a couple of times called Reserve a Librarian. So this person will sit down with you, walk you through different databases uh, so you can gather information and demographic knowledge for your business. Um, they can help you fill out your resume online. Um, I mean, just valuable services that the library provides. And again, these are for free. So we really want to like shout it from the rooftops. You know, you don't have to pay um, to do this, and especially for low-income families who are, you know, maybe living on a shoestring. These are free services that are available to them, again, to, to give them that one step further with their education, with, uh, with just enjoyment of reading or listening to, uh, to a book on, on, D, on CDs. So it's, uh, I think that the library has become even more relevant. Um, are they being utilized and oh, yeah. as far as the number of patrons coming in and... Yeah, yeah. I don't have the stats right here in front of me, but um, yeah. Um, in fact, during the, uh, the pandemic, uh, they had to limit the number of patrons who could be in uh, the library at any one time. So, so it was kind of, you know, you had to kind of take your turn. Uh, it was, but it was wonderful to see that people still, they still wanted to be in their library. They that still wanted to That makes me so it. happy. I love that so much. One of my favorite date nights with my wife is going to literally going out to eat and then going to Barnes and Noble. Oh, cool. And literally spending an hour or two in Barnes and Noble looking wow. at different things and grabbing a little, you know, drink that they have, have there or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I just love being around the books and, and people, we could do that at the library, right? Same or kind of you thing. can do that at our Whale's Tale bookstore over at Colorado Mills Mall. Which, talk about the Whale's Tale bookstore. Which I would love to talk about. Let's, let's talk about that. So yeah, this was kind of a new venture. And honestly, we, we rolled the dice on this one. Um, during the pandemic, and especially, you know, during the year 2020, um, we, the foundation, we typically would do um, holiday book sales, and we would use uh, meeting rooms at the various libraries to set up these sales. Well, during the pandemic, the library was using those meeting rooms to quarantine the books that were returned, because at that point, we people were still believing that you could get the COVID virus through transmitted through books and materials. Right. So we didn't have a place to have our book sales. And I had books that were, you know, growing out of my ears. I didn't have any, <laughs> any place. To, so I went to Colorado Mills and they had been kind of talking to me about the possibility of opening a, a bookstore. And I said, look, we're not ready to sign a long-term lease. Give me a down and dirty, give me a six weeks lease. We'll see how it goes. Um, so we opened up then on Black Friday of 2020. So we opened up in the middle of a pandemic. We were there for, I think it was through January 16th, we raised over $28,000 in that six-week time frame. Wow. So my board said, I think we're on to something. I think we should sign a longer-term lease. So we extended the lease through the end of February. We were still raising good money. Um, so we signed a, uh, a one-year lease, and just recently we re-upped that lease. So we're averaging about $12,000 a month in gross sales. And where do those books come from? Are those library books, donated books? Where, where do those Some come are deaccession from? from the library, about 50% uh, deaccession from the library. <clears throat> In other words, they're weeded out. Yes. Um, like I tell people, if you've got 
50 copies of 50 shades of gray you know it's it's no <laughs> yeah. longer popular and people aren't checking it out so they uh, deaccession they uh, bring them over to our uh, warehouse which is located in wheat ridge and then we have volunteers who sort through those. Um, we also accept donations from the public. So right now, uh, and due to the pandemic, we were only open for Mondays and Tuesdays for donations. And we're kind of keeping with that routine. So from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on each Monday and Tuesday, unless it's a holiday, uh, we will accept uh, book donations up to six boxes of books from the public. We'll give you your receipt so that you can have your donation receipt. Um, yeah, so it's about 50-50 um, over at the Whale's Tale as far as what we're, what we're selling there. And it's not just used books. It's also CDs, DVDs, vinyl records. Wow. We, uh, those are really coming back in popularity. Not too long ago, we sold a vinyl record. It was the Velvet Underground. I don't know. Uh, and we sold it for $250. What? Yeah. No kidding. So, so for real. So it's really gaining traction. It is. is for people coming. Is there a place that people, is it just a shop or is it also they can read there and there's... No, we don't have space enough for people to sit down and read, but, you know, they can take their books and go to the food yeah. court or what have right. you. Right, come in and buy them. It's a, it's a retail experience. Right, and we also sell new items like jewelry, purses. Uh, we have a, a product line with um, Honeyville products. Honey mm, pro products from Honeyville. Durango. Aren't they yummy? Love, love, love. Uh, yeah, scented candles, eyeglasses, you know, reading glasses. I mean, it's just a whole panorama of things. So um, it's mainly volunteer run. So I only have two people who kind of oversee See that and that's our friends and volunteer coordinator she pretty much manages it and then janet spaith is the person who works on the weekends on saturday and sunday because otherwise it was me and kirsten working on saturday <laughs> and sunday and finally you know at the beginning of this last year i mean it was like three three months that kirsten would work on saturday i would work on sunday and my husband finally said am i ever going to see you on a sunday and you said <laughs> so okay time I, I to do something it was time to hire somebody so yeah so janet has done just a really fantastic job for us. But other than that, it's all volunteer run. So we're always looking for good volunteers who might want to help us out. Plus, for every four-hour stint that you volunteer, you earn two free books or CDs or DVDs. That's yeah. a great, it's great... It's a bargain. Yeah. yeah. And is the store open then Wednesday through Sunday? We're open every day of the week. Okay, so you so, can donate books Monday and Tuesday, but the store's open seven days. It is. So um, we're open from noon until... Noon until 6 p.m., Sunday through Friday, and then on Saturdays we open 11, so 11 to 6. That's so cool. And it's yeah. called Whale's Tale. Whale's Tale, T-A-L-E, Books and Gifts. We are right next door to Dick's Sporting Goods. You go in entrance number 5 at Colorado Mills. You take a right past Dick's, and we're the next shop on your right-hand side. Very cool. Do you guys do any shipping of books if people were listening outside of the Denver area and wanted books shipped? Is that something that you do? Yeah, well, you can buy books <laughs> <laughs> buy books through our online storefront called Jeffco Friends, but we only sell rare and collectible books there. So okay. our warehouse coordinator handles that. Um, I also wanted to mention our Whale of a Used Book Sale. I think that's what we're known for uh, most of all. So this is a, a, a semi-annual sale that we produce out at the Jeffco Fairgrounds. 
So twice a year, we will take out probably between 80,000 and 100,000 books, CDs, DVDs, and some vinyl records, um, and uh, sell those during a three-day sale. So it's open like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Sunday is always bag day. Uh, you get a whole bag of whatever you want to jam into your bag uh, for eight bucks. <laughs> oh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's such a deal, especially for people who are homeschooling or teachers who are trying to fill up you know, the ranks of their libraries, et cetera. It's really um, a wonderful opportunity for them. So um, like I said, that runs uh, three days. This next one is coming up June 2nd through the 5th at the fairgrounds. We always need a lot of volunteers to help us out with that. It takes about 200 volunteers to help us. Yeah, wow. it's a big production. That's impressive. So, so two days of setup and then, of course, the teardown afterwards. So, um, And then during the event, we need people who can cashier, um, who can be cart runners, you know, running the carts around and helping people get the their books into their cars if they buy large volume, uh, greeters, um, kitchen helpers, I mean, all sorts of opportunities. And again, you're earning uh, two free books for every four-hour shift. And you get to wear these really cool aprons. I love aprons. Yeah, you might see me there. You. Okay. <clears throat> I got to ask you, you have um, this portion for community adult programs. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's tied to some of what we talked about, but maybe a little bit different. We have the, the Library Summer Challenge and then this Hard Times Writers, Writers Workshop. Workshop. I, I wanted to touch base on those because a lot of people think of libraries for kids or libraries for families, but I was really touched by looking at these two particular programs. Can you just share a little bit about that? So the Library Summer Challenge has been going on for more than a decade, and the main thrust of that is to help students, you know, grade school, teenagers, whomever, um, to keep on reading during the summertime so that they don't lose those reading skills in academic circles that is known as uh, the summer slide. So when they go back to school in the fall, it's like they're starting all over again. So the, the point of the summer reading challenge is to engage parents and caregivers to serve as role models, reading role models for these students, and to keep, you know, like do family reading and things like that so that uh, the students or the teenagers don't lose traction with their, with their literacy skills. Plus, you can earn uh, prizes as you read along. Uh, you get a free book then at the end when, when, you're, uh, when you finish the program. So it's, it's just a fun way to keep people engaged um, in reading all summer long. The Hard Times Writers Workshop, actually I have participated in that. I hope that doesn't mean that I'm on hard times, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and it was done virtually. Um, but it's for people who really want to express themselves through writing. And it's guided by um, a facilitator from the Lighthouse Writers Workshop, which is in Denver. Um, and it's just an opportunity for people to express themselves, to explore um, writing, whether it's poetry or you're writing a, a scene or, a, you know, just what, whatever strikes you. So, so the people from the Lighthouse Writers Workshop help to guide that along. And it's, uh, a lot of it is for people who are facing those hard times. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they have financial worries. Uh, maybe they're handicapped. Um, physically or mentally challenged, or they've got PTSD. We had um, a gentleman who was uh, a war veteran, and he had PTSD, and this was kind of a lifeline for him to be able to reach out and, and express his feelings, just like we were talking about earlier, you know, just writing down your feelings or, or a couple of sentences just to kind of express yourself. 
Um, so I, it's very it's a very important program. We're, That's we're really, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys host lectures too? People coming in and sharing messages with audience. Well, the library, uh, the library um, has typically done like an author uh, lecture series. Um, I don't know if they're doing one this year. I haven't heard. Um, for the foundation, we have our friends annual meeting, and actually it's coming up um, April the twenty second. Um, and we typically have a pretty well known author come in, uh, do a presentation. We have a luncheon, etc., um, and prize drawing and all that good stuff. On April twenty second, we're going to have Carter Wilson. He is a thriller and suspense novelist. Nice. Yeah, he lives in Erie. Um, and I, it was funny because I told him, I said, well, we really can't afford to pay you. I said, but we'll feed you really well. And he goes, okay, I'll work for food. I'll do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, man, I'll work for food too. You let me know something that we can, that I can do for you and I'll do it for food. He's really, yeah. He, I've heard him speak before at the Rocky Mountain Literary Festival and, um, our foundation is a supporter of that event as well. So yeah, just literacy, literary, we're just, we're just all over the map. We have this cool program too called the Culture Pass. Yes. Can you describe that? Because now we're we're taking from the from the insides of the library. Which, by the way, you know another cool thing I think you guys do is help raise money to keep library spaces relevant to update them and make them whatever attractive to people. Right. So I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then this, this culture pass, I I want you to tell people about that. So if you have your um, library card, you can reserve free passes to uh, Denver Museum of Nature and Science, the Molly Brown house, Butterfly Pavilion. Um, I think you can still get state parks passes for free. Wow. Yeah. So you just, you can go online, you can reserve them and you can pick up your passes. And yeah, it's a great, again, for low income families, or you've got a herd of people who are coming in from out of town. What uh, you know, I want to entertain them. I want them to see the sites in Denver, but it's going to cost me an arm and a leg. You can get these free passes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What a great thing you guys do. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I want to read you a quote that I took from the website because it really meant something to me from, from your website. One can discover the world within the walls of a library. Yeah. I love that so much because I remember when I would walk into libraries, just like now when I walk into a bookstore, there are certain sections that I'm drawn to, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's business or personal development. And for me, then there's just endless authors with endless concepts that I can see there. But then as I walk around and I go to like, I love to go where the bargain books are. Oh, yeah. And I can see, just see this. <laughs> okay, here's all the atlases of space and here's of the world. And, here, yeah. like, and a library is just like that. Oh, yeah. Where you can find so many things. I love that quote so much. Can you share a little bit about the how people could best utilize a library in their lives? I think if you haven't been to the library in a long time, you need to make a visit. Um, one library in particular I can point to is the Belmar Library. Uh, went through a total renovation a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. They started in fall of 2019, and of course then the pandemic hit and the library was closed, etc. Um, but they have a digital digital media studio there that you can do podcasts or you know record songs or what have you. Um, they also have you know just different spaces for. Uh, they have a teen center. So it's specifically for teens, and it's away from the children's section. So they have their own little corner of the world, um, a, an adult reading section. You know, so you can you're away from everybody, and you can read the Wall Street Journal. You know, quietly. 
Um, and again, the banks of computers that are in use almost all the time. So it's it's spectacular. So neat. Yeah. The other cool thing that's happening at Belmar, if you haven't been to the Stanley Lake Library in Arvada, um, we help to raise funding for an outdoor adventure space there, which is connected to the Children's Library. Well, this past year, we were able, the foundation was able to raise $100,000 to produce an outdoor adventure space at the Belmar Library. So we hope to have the ground, ground broken probably, um, I would say by early June or July, um, and we'll have a nice big adventure space where the kids can go out and, you know, all sorts of different things, uh, sensory garden, um, outdoor musical instruments, um, you know, stepping logs, all sorts of different things that really uh, get the children energized and using their imagination. Stimulate learning yeah, and growth and yeah. imagination. And, oh. and especially in the outdoors. So we're really excited by that. That is so good. You guys are doing some amazing things. We're pretty cool. You are pretty cool. <laughs> Speaking of cool, what is one piece of advice that you've been given or learned along the way that has just become a foundational piece for you that you would share with our audience? Wow. I think perseverance. When you're in the fundraising arena, um, and especially when I'm, I'm writing grants um, and asking people for money, um, sometimes your program or project isn't the right fit or the timing isn't right. Um, but don't lose track of that. If, if that funder or sponsor has been interested in what you're doing and has spent the time to sit down and talk with you, um, maybe it just hasn't been the right fit. So, so go back to them, you know, stay in touch with them, keep that, that line of communication open so that you're not just, oh, well, that didn't work out, so I'm just going to march on. You want to make friends with your funders. You want to be respectful of them um, and giving them, you know, updates and reports, you know, letting them uh, understand that uh, you're still working away and, and you have an idea that, that might fit their focus of funding. So. Oh, Joe, so good. That's Thank so you. good. Well, I've had a wonderful time visiting with you. Great. If people wanted to learn more about the foundation mm -hmm. or volunteer, like you said, you guys are always looking for volunteers to help with all these really yeah. awesome programs that you're running. How would they reach out? How would they connect to get involved? So they can give us a call at 303-403-5075. That's our main number. Um, like I said, we're located in Wheat Ridge. We're at 10790 West 50th Avenue. We're back behind the Arvada Ridge um, Shopping Center with the Big Target. That's where our warehouse is. Uh, people can donate books there, uh, again, on Mondays and Tuesdays, or they can call ahead and make an appointment. Um, or you can go to our website, www.jefffclf.org. That is beautiful. So people, if you're listening to this, and you love learning or you've learned something from our time today, see what you can do to give back to these folks. Share something of your time, talent, or treasures, and it'll make a big difference in the lives of others. So um, if you also like this, please, please connect with us at Ramos Law. You can also subscribe to the podcast. That always helps. Share this message with people that you know and love because it's through this type of information that we all get better. So until next time, just know that Ramos Law cares about you and that go out there and make a difference. Thank you.